Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hello and welcome to Season 2, Episode 13 of Hometown Glory, your Spurs and Culture podcast. I'm Charlie and I'm delighted to be back with you all. I'm joined by Rosa and Tom for this one. How incredibly exciting. Now, plenty to get through since this podcast last convened. We'll, of course, be running the rule over an emotionally confusing defeat at home to Liverpool on the weekend. While considering all things Champions League after our Marseille heroics and the draw for the last 16. Now, Rosa and Tom, let's go to the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium for... Spurs 1, Liverpool 2 from Sunday. Um, It was a game in which we went 2-0 down for the fourth consecutive Premier League match. It was a game in which we failed to score a goal in the first half for the seventh consecutive match. Um, And it was a game in which, of course, we lost. But there were some positives to take from another home defeat in the league, um, which we're very much going to cling to shortly. But Tom, you were the only one of us that were there, that was there at the stadium on the weekend for various reasons. Um, that first half, again, what it, but it, what I want to talk about with the first half was it wasn't a classic sort of miserable recent time Spurs first half and that we just didn't show up. Because aside from the two sort of comically poorly defended goals, we were kind of all right, weren't we? I think we played fairly well first half, yeah. Um, but, you know, we should have known better than to give Salah space and time on the ball. Um, those two goals were right in front of the south stand. The second was obviously a pretty massive error by um, Dyer. Um, the fullbacks were extremely uh, patchy in that first half, really. Um, but yeah, we weren't we weren't terrible by any means. But you know, we know what Liverpool are like. We know what Salah's like. He's one of the best players in the league, um, even if he's slightly his form slightly dropped 
this season. Um, we should have known better. But yeah, we weren't bad. It wasn't an absolutely terrible first half. If we'd have gone in 1-0 down at half time, um, that would have been lovely. Mm. Um, and we could have taken it, I think. But switching off, what was the second goal? 30, like almost 40 minutes, right? Um, we just had to get to half time at that point and regroup and know that we're always more intense in the second half, or we certainly have been, for, like you said, the last 10 games or whatever. We had to get there 1-0 down and we didn't. Um, but yeah, overall, I enjoy, I thought we were good. I think the crowds were good. I think I know a lot of people have moaned about the crowd in the stadium this season and there were some boos. Um, when we went in at half time, 2 0 down. But considering we were losing from the 10th minute, I think the crowd were really good. And they, you know, we reflected that intensity in the second half and kind of, you know, we came out all guns blazing in the second half. And overall, we probably deserved a draw were it not mm. for Salah, I suppose. It's interesting you bring up the the crowd and the booing and just the general mood around the stadium particularly because obviously Conte um, was asked about the booing and said that it wasn't something that he was especially thrilled about. He, he said he understood it, but basically kind of intimated that it's not especially helpful in his opinion. Um, I then saw Graham Souness talk about the, the atmosphere in the stadium as well, not being what he felt it should be in terms of getting behind the team all that kind of stuff. I feel like on this podcast, we're all fairly robust in our booing is never particularly helpful. Um, Rosa, from your trips to the stadium this season, and just, I guess, as a Spurs fan that has encountered many, many situations where booing would be entirely fair and appropriate, where where do you stand on, like, when, when is acceptable to sort of, do the whole, you know, Real Madrid waving the white flags, booing stuff. Um, okay, just one quick thing in response to what Tom was saying, which is that we should have known better really needs to be our new club motto, don't you think? <laughs> just here we go again. Um, and also massive error feels like it's actually slightly too kind to Eri Dyer. Because <laughs> I had I'd actually avoided watching that at the time because I just wasn't looking at the TV at the time of said error and I didn't I was like I'm just when when we conceded again I was like I just left the room and you know came back in for the second half but I refused to watch the goal and then Ollie made me watch it this morning and I gen it genuinely was worse than what I've been imagining so well it's 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 particularly hideous because I'm not even sure what had his attempted header come off I'm not even sure what, I know it would have been a nightmare as it was what was the best case scenario that he was hoping for there that it sort of went back to them but further up the pit anyway, anyway i think this is it again like brain freeze also too kind um stadium wise i've got really not not completely mixed feelings but some mixed feelings so my feeling about booing in the stadium is i feel like it's a bit like having a family argument in public <laughs> <laughs> so but I feel like maybe other people think it's just like having an argument with your family at home. So 
that I, I just think there's just two different attitudes to that. I'm like, let's not embarrass ourselves. And let's, let's not show everybody what we're family um, stressing business. about. Exactly. Family so business. just keep it to yourselves. But I guess people think, well, it's our stadium. That's our family. That's our home. Um, that said, even within that context, even if you feel like it's all right because it is your home, it's just, and I said this on Twitter, it's obviously cathartic in the moment to boo your players if you're frustrated but it's just so, so, so counterproductive. And I don't understand how there's anybody left who doesn't see that. And I don't know how many times players can come out and managers can come out and say, it's really helpful if you cheer us, <laughs> you know, and leave the other part unsaid because they don't want to actively say, please don't boo us. It's really stressful and, un- and doesn't help. So, you know, we don't have to be like a German fan base and like sing all the way through and cheer everything they do and they clearly don't deserve it. But I think this is just madness at this point and it doesn't, mm. and it's just actively hurting us. And I also think in the, in the specific context of the game against Liverpool, it's also crazy because Tom's right. We had a very ropey, first, it was almost like our bad first half was condensed into the first 10 minutes. Mm. And after that, we were fine, bar that, you know, moment of madness we didn't deserve to go in at the break 2-0 down which we have done in basically every other game where we've been 2-0 down so at this point I'm like is it just one of those things where like when you you know come across people on Twitter and it's just like booing's your personality now I don't know (laughs) (laughs) I wonder if well if we've gone a bit boo mad because we through our booing we essentially got Nuno fired right so maybe we think that Actually, we are, you know, the power to the booing people, but no one, I refuse to believe no one actually wants, regardless of how kind of insatiable Spurs Twitter can get after a defeat. I refuse to believe that anyone still actually wants Antonio Conte to not be Spurs manager right now. So surely people don't want to like, you know, spark some sort of Conte meltdown that's actually going to lead him to think, actually, they don't even want me here. So I'm off. That's just... Like you, like you said, counterproductive is exactly the word I would use for it. We yeah, in- I mean, maybe you're right. They are sort of like drunk with power. You know, absolute power corrupts absolutely, guys. Let's just think, <laughs> let's remember that. <laughs> we, it's well, you know, again, I've said it before on the, I think I said it on the last podcast, but the, um, you know, we went into the game third in the league yesterday. Like, you can't, like, well, yeah, what do you want? You can't, mm. you don't want Conte out, like, well, some people do, but they're mental. Um, but yeah, I, again, I have mixed feelings. People pay their money. You know, everyone in that ground has paid a lot of money yep. to be yep. there. I don't boo personally. I think I probably booed Nuno, a um, couple of those Nuno performances and some Sherwood performances at points. Um, but it is counterproductive and it is embarrassing because you know Conte is going to be asked about it and the mm. media are going to you know, understandably, newspapers are going to ask about it and people are going to make a bigger deal of it than they should. What, like, I didn't see what Sunes said, but certainly second half, our our support was brilliant. And actually, from the South Stand, I didn't hear Liverpool's fans until about the, until injury time Mm. um, at the very end when they realised they'd won it and they started making some noise. Um, So I do think, actually, the atmosphere was pretty, pretty good considering we were losing for, for almost the entire game. Psychologically at this point, these starts we're making are, you know, they're a, they're a big issue. They're really, they're really sort of hampering our progress now in a, in a big way. 
what what can be done about it rosa i feel like i want to come to you as our sort of in-house psychologist for this kind of stuff how how do you stop players playing because they seem to be playing sort of within themselves in the first half because they are scared to make mistakes they seem to there and i think kane alluded to this after the marseille game when asked about the first half in the sense that you know he's aware that the team sort of just drops further and further back when they're under pressure or they don't want to make mistakes because i guess it's you know, there's the the closer I am to my own goal, the safer I am, sort of thing. What what do you think? And I'm sure this is obviously a question that Antonio Conte and his his team are asking themselves every minute of the day at the minute. But what what can happen to, you know, maybe we won't use the Forest game midweek as an example, as that feels like a bit of a free hit, perhaps. But Leeds on the weekend in the league, which suddenly feels like an enormous match for us to win, hopefully to go into the World Cup on a high with. How do you send them out? To, a, to that stadium on, on Saturday afternoon, full of energy, full of that sort of second half vim and vigour that we're showing? I mean, I think this is, we are Conte's biggest challenge and that's that's the reality of the situation that he is in and that we're all in. Um, when, I think one of the things that people sort of get wrong about I'm just going to, this is going to sound so pretentious. I'm really sorry. Bear with me. One of the things people get wrong about psychological therapy, psychotherapy, all of that form of treatment is that you start things when you're feeling pretty, pretty low and you get a sort of immediate sense of feeling better at the beginning. And then what happens to pretty much everybody as you go through it kind of other you're sort of digging a bit deeper and other things start coming up and there comes a point where you're like oh my god this isn't helping at all I actually feel worse than I did when I started and you have to stick with it I mean you don't have to lots of people don't that's fine um but if you do then there comes a point where you don't feel that bad again and you never feel that bad again and but there are always, always going to be times when you kind of fall back into things because that's just the reality of the human mind and human emotions, the human psyche, right? And I just think hum- like footballers are human beings and they work in that sort of weird network where they're all, it, they're all playing off each other and whatever kind of team, dyna- but team dynamic kind of fits into our sort of club dynamic. And I don't... You know, I'm really against all of the sort of people who are like, oh, we're just kind of doomed to failure and all the, you know, Dr. Tottenham stuff and all that. I don't believe in any of that, but I do think we are, we really are a neurotic fan base and we're quite a neurotic club and it's just going to take a lot more time. I think we had what we did, what we had basically at the end of last season and when Conte arrived, we had that initial bump. And it pushed us, it kind of pushed and dragged us over the line for fourth. Mm. And now some of the familiar issues are coming back up. And I don't think they have to be there forever. I think with a lot of work and an acceptance that they are going to kind of come back up, that we are going to get nervous and kind of shrink back into ourselves. I think that can be defeated. I really, really believe that. But I just think it's not going to happen overnight. And I think, I understand why people get really upset because it looked like, Conte kind of sorted that out and he'd made mm. us kind of more, much more robust. And then to watch the sort of old frailties kind of raise their ugly heads again is really depressing. But it's just, I don't think it's something that's 
I don't think it means that this is it and everything's going wrong. I think it is just, it's just the sort of natural ebbs and flows of human experience. So (laughs) (laughs) I'm very sorry that was really pretentious, but that is genuinely what I think. No, I was, I was hoping for something that pretentious from you. So that was, I I thoroughly enjoyed that. Is perhaps though, we're talking about a football club where, you know, a shortcut perhaps to, um, you know, putting some sticking plasters or indeed full surgery on a team a team sort of psychology or you know getting past these frailties is by simply swapping some of the players that simply seem to be beyond <laughs> psychological aid at maybe this stage after seven eight nine years of watching certain players make very similar mistakes every you know few weeks slash months are we at that stage now where we have to you know obviously we've been sort of enduring quite a as to, to to go back to sort of Poch's old thing, you know, the, the the painful rebuild has been happening now for sort of three or four years. We we still have a few mainstays from that era, even almost before that era. Is it now time where we look at certain players that are still pretty much in the first team every week? And I hate talking about certain players because I feel like they're also some of the most beloved players we have. But and even if we're not talking about them leaving the club necessarily is the fact that some of these guys are sort of almost first name on the team sheet guys that we literally don't have replacements for in the case of someone like, say, Eric Dyer, who, to be completely fair to Eric, was in tremendous form for almost the entirety of Conte's reign up until pretty much that England recall where things have have, have fallen off dramatically. But, and, you know, we obviously hope that he's going to He's gonna he's gonna turn that around, but do we need to? Is the I guess what I'm asking is is that last little nudge that we need as a club to sort of get move on from certain players because we we're almost holding on to them as like a, well they're great guys and we love having them here and you know they're good dudes to have around the place. Do we just need to like rip that bandaid off? I think it's worth mentioning like certain circumstances under our, like beyond our control as well. The World Cup. Is it like yeah. has is an issue? Um, Hulu being injured has been a has been a massive issue. I, I you know it's frustrating that our sixty million pound signing hasn't contributed anything yet. Mm. Uh, in the league, at least in the Champions League, he's got a couple um, and has been injured. And then you know Dyer. I know you're sort of you know. I think we probably do need to upgrade from Dyer, but he does look a million times better with Romero next to him. Um, and whether that's a, that's whether that's a genuine injury or sort of World Cup related or a bit of both, I don't know. But um, I think like we have to look at this half of the season with those things in mind because they are all contributing factors. Um, but yeah, it's a worry. Like. Our form and that first half form, especially, is a worry. we when it's so competitive for the top four this this season. But yeah, I do agree. Like you know, there's, there were players on the bench yesterday that we should have got rid of ages ago, mm. um, and uh, you know, Davis and Longley should probably be backups um, along with Dyer at this point, and plus Royale, like Jesus. But I don't really think. I mean, obviously, I've got my own, you know, biases here, but I just don't really feel like those players are necessarily the problem. If I look at the players that I'm just more frustrated in, kind of week in, you know, it is players like Emerson who are just, 
I can't be bothered with them anymore and I don't really have and maybe it is because I do have you know long-standing affection for certain players who have been at the club a long time and I don't have that for Emerson I just I, I you know he's a player where I'm like I don't care about you anymore and even actually and oh my god this is maybe if we're talking about long kind of long-serving players you know Lucas even though I've always said I want him to kind of have the freedom of the sea when it comes to our club. But it's controversial in my heart, Charlie. Like, I feel terrible. (laughs) (laughs) I know he's like a weird guy. He loves fascists. I know, but like he gave us literally the greatest moment of our, you know, footballing career, like our partner supporting careers. I just, but honestly, he's not an option, is he? Like, no. if you need an attacking option, he's not your guy. I mean, you could see it on Sunday. Is it, Was it yesterday? I've, I had to lose track of all time. Um, when Kulu came on, and it was like, this is what happens when you have a good player. Yeah. That's it. It was remarkable. And we should, we should, we should talk about Kulisevsky because we're, you know, we're at risk of getting a little bit um, zoomed out in our uh sort of treatment of what's going on with Spurs at the minute, which is entirely my fault. But um, Kulisevsky on the pitch for what was it like? A minute. 110 seconds or something before he, he slips in Kane for the, the, the goal to, to get us back into the game. And you're right, Rosa, he came on. This guy hasn't played football in a couple of months now. He's missed so much. Just did not skip a beat immediately. And also just looked so confident and was like, I'm I'm what this team needs. Like not just that. Oh, where can I fit in? Where can I help? Like, is there anything I can do, guys? Like, what what's needed? It was just like, give me the ball. I'll sort this out. And- he just wants to make things happen, doesn't he? And yeah. you know, talking Lucas, I mentioned the bench there, where like we should have cut our losses on Sanchez and Tanganga and Lucas some time ago, really, shouldn't we? Yeah. But. Like Lucas comes on and looks like a headless chicken and like doesn't look up, doesn't really know what he's doing. He, no final products. No final product, yeah. makes a decent run occasionally. But like Kulu comes on and he's like, he wants to make things happen. He is smart. Like he mm. sees runs, he sees space, he sees passes, he links with like Kane and whoever's at right back. He links with players. Him and and Doherty look brilliant. Him and Matt Doherty look absolutely telepathic in their understanding of where the the other wanted the ball. And again, they've not played together for months. We've missed missed Kulu so much. And yeah, like you said, he comes on and immediately wants to make something happen. Um, And, you know, he's not, he hasn't got anything to prove like he's not trying like he's so young he just wants to get on and make things happen and there's no like no sort of baggage he doesn't come with any baggage there's nothing sort of yeah he's not carrying anything on his back if well to, to kind of hark back to a bit of what rose was saying he he doesn't really know any of the tottenham neuroses because he arrived aside from maybe his first few weeks where he looked a little bit um you know tentative on the ball and like it was you know taking him a minute to understand where he was all he's known is Tottenham sort of roaring back from the abyss to grab fourth place under Antonio Conte and and good times. And even he's even missed the rubbish bit by being injured. So he just, you know, all he knows is about Spurs being assertive and winning football matches. And I think he's just he's just so good. And just how confident he looked. I just thought to myself, do you know what? Like his form before wasn't just a kind of flash in the pan or it wasn't just a, oh he's like taking the league by storm but teams are going to work him out he's he's really 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 good 
and he is going to be, you know, he's going to be our star player, I think, for a long time if we can keep hold of him. I think when we look beyond the sort of Kane Son sort of peaks, and I think, you know, we are starting to look down the road a little bit and see what a future might look like without them both for different reasons, form and because Kane might piss off at some stage. If we can keep a hold of him, I think we've got, you know, someone that could become one of the best players in European football. I, I really, really do. Um, and I think the I same totally with Benson Kerr. I think the yeah. same with Benson Kerr. I think, you know, I've not, I'm so upset I've not been on the podcast to rave about Rodrigo Benson Kerr for the last, the last three, four weeks because the, you know, the, the, the step up that he has taken since basically we've become a bit rubbish and he has just put the team on his back is extraordinary. And I thought again against Liverpool in the second half, he just was like, right, okay, if I have to dribble past four players, I'm going to dribble past four players. If I have to make a slide tackle to win the ball back, I'm going to make a slide tackle to win the ball back. And if I get booked, whatever, like just whatever it takes. And Christ almighty, if we can bring in two players like that in January, top four, I don't think it'll be any issue whatsoever. Um, he sets a tempo, doesn't he? Yeah. Um, uh, Benton Kerr and like Tulu is one of those players who absolutely matches without Son on the pitch, especially like Hulu just is there once his energy is just crazy. Yeah. I don't think any of that can be overstated really, because I think, I mean, certainly not with Benton Cobalt, but with Kulu, I honestly, I was quite nervous, like, you know, for the like two seconds before he like actually, you know, came well, like walked onto the pitch <laughs> Um, because I just thought, you know, he's been in, he's been out for a while with, you know, mm. the sort of mystery Tottenham ailments that we have. But, and also because his form had kind of wobbled a bit, right, in the kind of early weeks of the season, it wasn't quite. He also you know, he did get, he, he did got get, dropped as well did, for Richarlison, yeah. didn't he? Um, which, yeah. who, you know, every time Richarlison had come on, had been brilliant. And then he kind of lost his place, which was, well, it was really almost, harsh on him because he hadn't yeah. done anything wrong. And it was almost to, to keep Son in the team, wasn't it? If, if, yeah. I, if I think back, it was Conte sort of, I have to let Son play himself into form. Richarlison keeps coming on to making an impact, but I can't play Richarlison in his sort of Everton position on the left. So I'm going to have to sort of crowbar him into the right and take away one of the most productive cutting in from the right players in Europe, which looking back now seems completely insane. That it seems not- mad actually, yeah. because the way he just kind of waltzed onto the pitch after half time was just, it was, it was just so dynamic and confident and strong. And as if he'd never been injured, as if he didn't know what injury was, or as if he didn't know what <laughs> kind of dip in sort of confidence or form was. I just thought, you know, you're right. There's no, that's a man who just is not, like on any sort of speaking terms of angst whatsoever, <laughs> despite being from Sweden. <laughs> um, the other, the other massive positive for me in terms of player performance was uh, Eve Basuma. I think that was the first time, and he's had flashes. I thought the Everton game, he looked quite good when he came on, and we moved formation, and him coming into the midfield sort of won the game for us. I thought at Marseille last week, he he looked pretty good too. But I think this was the first time where I was like, there is that dude that turned up with Brighton two times last season, not just once, two times, and ran the midfield. And you couldn't get the ball off him. He was comfortable taking the ball forwards and sort of, you know, stepping past people. Felt He felt strong, like so much stronger on the ball than he's looked, where before it looked like he could get sort of blown over by a stiff breeze when... 
now it's like he kind of remembered that he's he's this sort of super tough little midfielder that can you know can bounce off people and a real a real lift and I think going back to what Tom was saying in terms of like not really seen that much from too many of the signings and people like Son I think I would add Basuma to that list of do you know what like we've played 14 league games so and I think Billy reminded us when we were you know kind of having a emotional set to in our group chat this morning we're all talking about second half of the season we've only we've only played 14 games there's actually you know there'll be be 15 after Leeds so there's a bit more than half of the season to go so we're not quite at the half stage, halfway stage yet so there's plenty of games to come and the fact that Basuma finally 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 looks like he's gonna he's gonna be ready to step up I thought was massive and Rosa you've you've spoken a ton about this right where we just expect players to come in particularly players like Basuma who's He's been playing in the Premier League for a long time at also a very high level. It's totally different. Like the expectations are different. He's playing under a very different coach. He's got completely different teammates. He, I think Conte and, and us on the podcast have sort of alluded to this idea that perhaps from, from the sounds of it, he was afforded sort of big man on campus status at Brighton where he maybe didn't have to put in 110% effort, but always knew he was going to be in the team every week. It's been... I think this is a perfect case in point of sometimes it just takes players three months or whatever and bang, here you go. I feel totally vindicated because <laughs> <laughs> he was fucking brilliant. Let's be honest. And you're right. And he was building up to it over the past, um, like what, three games that he'd been in, involved in. But he was magnificent. He did this, I like, he did this sort of, Dembele-esque absolute madness at one point where he just <laughs> shrugged off like three players turned and like managed to find somebody for a pass that I honestly I wanted to applaud it it was so so glorious I you know we knew he had it in him because we've seen mm. him play for Brian um and we knew he was struggling and you know, sometimes things just don't work out for certain players at certain clubs. It happens. But it really hadn't been that long since he joined. And we are a club still, so, you know, we're working things out as a club, right? Mm. So where do you, as a player, if you're kind of arriving into a situation that's still sort of slightly chaotic, kind of how do you find your place really in there? And also we know how seriously Conte takes the midfield and what he wants his midfielders to do. And how, there's just, and how there's no fucking about in there. Yeah, and how established Benson Clure and Hoybier yeah. them as well. So it's a hard duo to break. But up. also the levels that their performances have hit. Mm. You know, I know obviously Benton is has absolutely been the player of the season, but Hoybier is not that far behind, really. And you got so it's not even really like slotting into our defense, which you know we all know has, <laughs> anything would be an upgrade. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you've got you don't have quite so much to prove there, but you those are those are the guys you're up against. Those are the guys you've got to say, I'm as good as them. And he's absolutely he is, you know, it's now it's just about sustaining it basically mm. for him, yeah. I think. I think for whatever reason, um, I hadn't seen much of Basuma this season for us. I think um, the games, when he's played, I've kind of, I haven't been out and about, I haven't caught them on TV. Seeing him in person for the first time yesterday, I properly, um, 
I did that first 10 minutes when we were kind of terrible and couldn't get on the ball. I did have that worry that he's one of these players that we buy from a club who's the like, you know, the star player, the team is built built around them, another, you know, mid-table club potentially, and just can't cut it with us. Um, I know we were talking about Pinar and Dempsey earlier, and you know, we've had a fair few of those players over the years who just <laughs> can't kind of step. maligned and should have been given more of a chance, let's be honest. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, that first 10 minutes I was panicked, and then actually seeing him in the flesh, seeing his work rate, mm. um, his positioning, um, he was he was absolutely excellent yesterday, and again. It allows Bentacore to do that amazing roaming thing that he does where yeah. he skips past four players. And, you know, if he's got Basuma and Hoybier behind him, then you don't need to worry. And I think um, there were a few times yesterday where obviously we had Perisic playing off Kane. There were a few times where Bentancourt almost slipped into a front three with mm. them before, before Kulu came on um, when we were on the ball. And yeah, I don't know, like he's he's got it all, hasn't he, Benson Kerr? I know he didn't really score goals before he came to us, but he's got a couple. And yeah, seeing him flying forward, you're like confident that he'll find his man and pick out a pass. But yeah, yeah agreed. Basuma was excellent yesterday and um having three three centre mids was was great. Worked worked well for most of the game. But also uh, if we're thinking about things that um, you know, we'd really it's interesting because we did lose and it was an absolutely gutting, gutting yeah. defeat. I felt I was, properly, I was properly so, crushed at the end. Yeah, I was. But I do distraught. just want to focus in on that before you know we can we can yeah. kind of get into our feelings a little bit in a minute <laughs> if we want to. Maybe we don't. I don't know. But um, just to kind of think about even more of the positives, just mentioning that Benton just didn't really score before, and he's scoring for us. I think that is such a good omen for us. Mm-hmm. Because usually that's the kind of thing that the other that just happens the other way around, doesn't it? And you just have players who kind of score lows and they come to us. Same with same with Hoybier. Same with Hoybier. Yeah, that's like, true. Yeah, they're both they're both chipping in almost every other week. Like one of them is now, you know, we 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 haven't spoken about Marseille because the, the Liverpool game sort of overtaken absolutely every waking Spurs thought we've we've had. But you know, look at Hoybier in that game. Like, who would have thought last season? Mm-hmm. I just don't think he would have, or the season before that, he would not in that situation put through on goal in a really tight, sort of tight angle, defender breathing down his neck, last minute of at a time. I would not have put money on him pinging it into the top corner. Whereas, you know, our central midfielders, guys, they're scoring goals. This is, we, you know, we haven't had it for it. years. Like, we really need it though, don't we? Because we haven't had enough from Richarlison, Son, yeah. Kulusevski's been out. He's only scored once that first game like, of the season. Yeah, even Perisic, who I think has been mostly good, could have contributed goals. Yeah. Now I and thought yesterday he was yeah. He obviously hit hit the woodwork twice yesterday. Nearly, and, nearly and getting the, there. And the fullbacks as well should should have had more go- like assists, mm. particularly. Um, so yeah, thank God for those centre mids. Another just another one more positive from yesterday. I thought Perisic was was really good. Again, his work rate's ridiculous for someone who's Almost as old as me, and I can barely get out of bed in the morning. He um, wins the ball back in in the opposition half so much. It doesn't matter if he like initially loses it. He's so strong and clever and sort of wily 
that he's just like, I'll just pinch it back again and we'll start this again. Like it's so rare to see in sort of top class professional football, I think just someone that is so capable of just like, going, I'll have that back. Like you can't have the ball. I'm going to have it back now. Cause he's so, he's just so strong and smart and I just fucking love him. And I cannot, I cannot stress enough, like how much better we look with him on the left wing. Like I thought yesterday when we had him and Doherty and Kulisevsky on the pitch, those crosses just sort of raining down on Liverpool. I just thought to myself, we are going to, second half of this season, we are going to score so many goals from crosses if we can have Kulisevsky and Perisic on the pitch at the same time. Because Perisic is basically at this point, he's kind of good for an assist a game just from his crosses. Like if he doesn't do anything else, as long as he's taking corners and free kicks, you're almost assured of a goal because they are so good. And I mean... I thought Longley was actually pretty good again yesterday too, but that that header that Longley missed, right, you know, it was like three yards from goal. I mean, Tom, you must have been right over the top of it in the south stand. That corner from Perisic was just, you can't defend corners like that. They're whipped in. Those in-swingers, I've just wanted us to have someone that can play that type of set piece for years. It's felt like years and years and years since we've had someone like that. And you can't defend them. And I just feel like, you know, get Richarlison back in the team. Get Kane's obviously going to eat when it comes to headers. Benton Kerr seems like he's now winning headers from corners and things. Like, get you know, I just feel like that could. And obviously, we have scored a ton of goals from set pieces, but getting Kulisevsky in the same team as Perisic could be so huge for just the amount of chance creation we'll get from crosses. Anyway, that's my crosses rant. It's almost like when we've got all of the good players that we've that we have in our squad when they're all like fit and playing we're really good it's mad it's crazy how football works like that this is what billy always says though isn't it it's just like not relying really simple brian hill and lucas mora as our you know complementary forwards we can actually do something it's insane i wish you hadn't reminded me of that longer lay uh, (laughs) because i'd had thought that was that was right near the end of the game wasn't it a random guy punched me in the arm and um, I think some an old boy had kind of been going to leave and we're the end of the row right by the gangway. I don't know if he was going to leave and then the corner happened. He sat next to me in the spare seat and then punched my arm when that happened. <laughs> like, thanks, mate. I don't even know who you are. You're punching me. Um, but that was the chance, wasn't it? Like, that was the chance. And it was to, it I would feel have been like so we had deserved. loads of chances, Matt. I know, like, that was the more, the, that was, like, the most clear cut. But honest to God, we man, we deserved a draw. End. We deserved yeah. a draw. And there was a moment when I, like, finally, finally realised it just wasn't going to happen for us. I think when they, like, then when they got it back and they had a free kick and I was like, yeah. okay, that's that. Yeah. But honestly, right up until that moment, and I swear to God, that was about five seconds from time. Mm, I was the same. Right up until that moment, I, I was, was like, we same. could still do this and that feeling you can't that's I don't know I'm sat like like I've gone from really pretentious to being like proper football man again I'm like that's massive (laughs) guys that's why we love you Rosa (laughs) get you a Rosa that can do both (laughs) exactly but it's huge isn't it you know just knowing that however crap your team is in the first half that come like 95 minutes you'll be thinking we could still draw or win this and it was the opposite of the Newcastle game and it certainly was the opposite of the United game at Old Trafford where it felt like there was, you know, we could have played for another three hours without scoring another goal. Whereas, yeah, I think if we'd have had another five minutes on the weekend against Liverpool, we absolutely would have would have equalised. Um, should have had a penalty, on. actually. Sorry, I just because actually, let's be honest, we should have drawn because we should have had a penalty. 
Yeah, I'm still not 100 percent sure that was a penalty, but we don't. Okay, but if it's a penalty that, the day but... before, if there's a penalty That's the true. day before, and it was the same. Did I read that it was the, yes, the ref exa- yesterday? So... Was the VAR ref for the City game mm-hmm. or something? So. I don't listen. I don't want to be tinfoil, but they're making it impossible not to be. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Um, it's a crazy, crazy decision. I think that's that's been a good cathartic session talking about that game because I think obviously, Rosie, you're totally right. I think every Spurs fan I know was really quite bereft at the end of it because it felt like a big opportunity for a statement win over a sort of ailing Liverpool that certainly aren't what they have been. We would have gone 13 points clear of them had we won. It's now pretty different and the top four race looks like a bloodbath, but I think the fact is we watched a good Tottenham team in that second half yesterday, or indeed most of the game. It was only really first 10 minutes, last five minutes of the first half where we saw sort of batshit mental Tottenham. I feel like there is a good chance that we're going to see a very, very, very good Tottenham Hotspur after this wretched World Cup. So I think there's plenty of reasons to be excited. One of those reasons to be excited is, of course, the Champions League Round of 16, the draw of which was made today. Um, as I'm sure everyone knows, we've been drawn against reigning Italian champions AC Milan. Uh, first leg is at the San Siro on Valentine's Day. Second leg, second leg weird, weirdly, not to the 8th of March, which feels like ages. Like, is it normally that long that you go between legs? This season is just ridiculous in so many ways. Um, I'm quite thrilled about Milan. And this is this is for why. So we could have faced Dortmund, who we play every other season, and that's really boring. No thanks. We could have faced Inter Milan, which I was quite convinced was going to be the scenario we were going to get, just for sort of narrative content. Too much narrative. Into, uh, I would have, yeah, yeah. No, thank they you. would have, they would have been too up for it. Sort of taking down their old banks. Um, Leipzig, we could have got, who of course took us apart under uh, under Jose in the Champions League tie that no Spurs fan has any memory of. I literally like would not be able to tell you anything about either leg of that wretched that wretched tie that season. Um, we could have faced Club Bruges, which would have felt very Europa, very Europa, and thus would have ensured we would have lost. Like we lose those sort of Europa games. So we absolutely would have lost that time. It would have been really embarrassing. No thanks. Don't want Bruges. Um, And the other one, PSG, which of course would have been like, you know, Messi and N17. That would have been incredible. Like would have been wild. I'm sure it would have been some insane sort of like nine, seven on aggregate sort of madness. But I think if we're being honest, we probably would have been on the wrong end of a 9-7 aggregate defeat. So would have lost that. No, thanks. So I'm not mad about getting Milan. It's, I think, the kind of glamour tie you want, but a glamour tie that you can win, which I think is the perfect sweet spot for Champions League football. Um, I feel like Conte will know them back to front from obviously all his Italian days. Um Plus, he'll be supremely motivated. I'm assuming he doesn't really like Milan because as a sort of Juve guy who then went on to manage Inter, they're surely in that sort of like absolute apex of Conte hatred. So hopefully he's like bang up for getting rid of them. Um, Even with Italians being really weird about sharing managers and players and all that sort of stuff, you'd have to think there'd be some sort of... Surely they don't like someone. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. There's got to be somebody. Yeah. Yeah, and you're right. They are a lot more lax about players just like moving between rivals just on some sort of merry-go-round. But hopefully Antonio hates Milan, so that's good. Um, 
And then we've got all our ex Serie A lads as well. So Romero, Kulisevsky, Benson Kurt, they know all these players. So that'll be good. And they'll be, you know, Kulu and uh, Benson Kurt, particularly, who seem to leave Italian football under a bit of a cloud. You'd imagine they'll be bang up for going back to Italy and showing them just how exceptional their glow ups have been since uh, joining the Premier League. Um, Tom, you expressed concern about something that was raised when we were chatting earlier. Um, that big bastard, handsome French man that uh, Milan have up front, Olivier Giroud, talking about narrative. That seems to be the big narrative banana skin uh, that I can think of. He always scores against us, doesn't he, Giroud? Um, and he is a yeah, annoyingly uh, good player whenever you see him. Uh, and for France as well, his, his record for France is mad, isn't it? Um, also, what well, my favourite thing is that it brings back memories of one of my all-time favourite Spurs moments when Joe Jordan squared up to Gattuso. <laughs> uh, I had to check 2011, apparently. Um, but yeah, oh God, Italian. I'm so mad that was 2011. That, like, uh, yeah, I know. Years I, ago. I feel extremely old. But um, yeah, hopefully, like BT or uh, someone like reunites them and they have a row in the studio as pundits or something. Could have been um, a lot easier. Gattuso could be Spurs manager right now if it wasn't for the online Spurs fan base, of course. Yeah, that can And we, we would not be playing AC Milan in the Champions That's League true. right now, let's That's be honest. <laughs> but yeah, get Joe Jordan on the uh, on the commentary or something. I loved when I don't know if Gattuso like underestimate him. He didn't know who he was, didn't realise he was a Scottish hard man, and suddenly I really thought former AC Milan hard man as well. Yeah, Joe former Jordan, AC yeah. Milan hard man, yeah. Um, yeah, anyway, yeah, 2011, Jesus, where does time go? It's mad to look at that lineup and think how far we've come, but also just how far we haven't come as well in some ways. You know, time is a flat circle, guys. As you said as well, bizarre <laughs> that we skip, we now skip winter and our next Champions League game is in spring. Like, or our next home Champions League game is in March. Like, It's mad. Man. It's like the fact that the group stage was done and dusted by the, the 1st of November and then you don't play again till Valentine's Day in the Champions League. It's just, I mean, we could be looking at, you know, any, we could be in any sort of shape by then. We could have like five new players or something mad by then. It's just ridiculous. I love but... this moment with these competitions though, where you've made it through and now it's just however many months and you can just enjoy still being in the Champions League. It's like nothing, you, you can't take that away from me until, the, until whenever it is, like the 1st of March, you cannot take <laughs> it away from me. And also, I don't like. I don't think it's worth doing a big Nottingham Forest preview, is it? Because I think like a lot of players are going to be rested. Um, well, well, I was going to ask, like, what what would you do both if you were Antonio Conte? I mean, I think logic dictates that you rest a bunch of players. We said earlier, like the Leeds game on the weekend suddenly feels, considering the very up and down Premier League form we've been experiencing, that game feels like a must must win. They, you know, they seem a bit on their feet or off their feet, knackered. I can't remember the. They're on their feet. They're scoring goals. Uh, Leeds. Oh, who leads? Yeah. yeah, I was talking about us, but yeah, oh, sorry, Leeds seem yeah. to be scoring goals. I mean, they've in fact Leeds are. They went to Anfield and won, and then they had that sort of harem scarum. Who did they beat on the weekend? Um, they won four three, didn't they? Bournemouth, they were like yeah. three one down, and then came back to win four three. Uh, so, we were two 0 down. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> 
Try harder. Um, <laughs> I, I would put, like personally, I would I'd rest like as many as you can really for Nottingham Forest in the cup. Like I couldn't care less about the Carabao. And like you were saying about like we're through the Champions League, it'll be nice to have a midweek game that I might not even watch it. Is it on TV? I've literally no idea. So, um, but no like idea. great to have a midweek game that doesn't really matter. Like if we get I mean, about, I don't really care. It is a trophy. That's all I'd, it I'd say. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Okay, I know no. it really. And honestly, this is the perfect, perfect game for us, I think. Yeah. Because we can just rest everybody. Just Whatever, whatever 11 we can cobble together from, mm. you know, not Kane, not Kulu, not Bentoncourt, not Hobbit, all of that gang, right? Jesus and Christ, this lineup, man. It's going to be hilarious, <laughs> but, you know, but, but the thing is as well, the best thing about it is that because it's against Premier League opposition, if we lose, it's not that embarrassing. No. So it doesn't yeah. matter. So I don't really feel like we can, I don't feel like we can lose actually. And I know uh, this is, it is so entitled of me to say it but I just I don't give a fuck about the League Cup it's no. just what even is it named after I don't care Some like it's Chinese is it an energy drink yeah, yeah. Um, the fact that I can never even remember that you know I know this is genuinely so entitled of me but whatever the gods you know have wreaked their vengeance upon me already so I don't I was know why, also I about- said, why did I say that out loud? <laughs> five, one, five one defeat in the post, thanks to I, I was about to say also there's a lot of players with a point to prove, but with the rose gallery that we're likely to see, you know, like if we do rest everyone, with Sanchez, I mean, Skip's got a point to prove, Brian Hill's got a point to prove, fucking Lucas can run around like a lunatic and with no end product probably. Um, we're harking back to those like early conference league games aren't we thinking yeah. about some of these lineups we know when Nuno had his like B team and his his A team yeah. like this is full, uh, full B team I imagine certainly Spence has a as a, as a point to think, yeah I mean maybe this is this could be yeah that'd be nice actually a... Spence and Brian like and he, won't, he won't start them. he won't start Spence will he though he and Skip's played Skip's played no football so he'll want to do something you'd, yeah. you'd hope um, it's a shame we haven't got Dane Scarlett to to start like he did in those. Yeah, because I guess if you don't play Kane, do you, who do you play up front? Because Richarlison, I don't think's yet ready. Although he did seem quite sprightly jumping off the sofa today when he found out he was in the Brazil squad, which I'm I'm happy for him about because I know that's a big deal for him. Did so. they announce that for, like on telly? Telly, yeah. I, I think it's like so. Ve- you don't even very, get a phone call. I think in a in very sort of Brazilian soap opera kind of beautiful melodrama drama style they do a full like press conference where they just read the names out and that's the first the players know about it seemingly because he Richardson had his like his whole family around his house and he was in his Brazil shirt as well I was like oh, what, that if could have gone, yeah. what if he hadn't gone <laughs> <laughs> um, but hopefully that's a good thing for him and he you know goes and wins the World Cup for Brazil and comes back and scores 15 goals after Christmas yeah. that'd be nice um, uh, I don't yeah he might um, he might get a few minutes, I guess, but ultimately it's going to be like Lucas and Brian, isn't it? Like, that's, I mean, you know, we're, no, not, it's winning. Like, we're not winning. Or... We're not winning. I really, I don't care. I just, let's just get them out there, run around a bit. Listen, I wasn't wrong when I said it was absolutely fine that we were booted out of the conference league. Yeah. Yeah. So I do, I do remember all of us after the Marseille game last week saying, the Liverpool game's irrelevant, doesn't matter. Like, we've we've won the game that matters this week and then all of us being inconsolable last night. That is not going to happen. No, point of order. Po- correct, small correction to that. <laughs> I don't, we didn't say it didn't matter. 
<laughs> we said out of the two, if you could only win one, we took we would take the Marseille game. And I actually stand by that because I think I was, would stand by that. That was well, incredible. Yeah. To be to still be in the Champions League, you can't I just don't want to be another team that's like we're, we're going to throw the, the Champions League to be in the Champions League again. That's just and the players would have felt oh. it exactly. It Imagine. would have been a nightmare. And the how we felt on Tuesday, like we were down and out, man. We're heading to the Europa League to have to play like quite a lot of really good teams. But in in a, a, I, I didn't realise as well that you, we would have had to have dropped into the the playoff round. Oh my so god! That, so not even. So if you you don't you don't get so say Arsenal for example they won their group so they go through to the last sixteen. There's a round of thirty two rounds that the dropout teams from the Champions League have to play the teams that finish second in the Europa group stage before they can then get through to the round that Arsenal are in. So we would have had to have, so that's, so Barca came out of the Champions League and had to play United who finished second in their group. I feel like I've had a vision of my own death hearing that. (laughs) (laughs) And that's what we were staring down the barrel at. Like that could have, you know. I'm so glad I didn't know that then. It was bad enough as it was. If, you know, if if old uh, Kalashnik hadn't, you know, slapped that header Bounced it See, over the bar. you know, defenders don't know how to score goals. That's the reality. And you know, Longley got one that night. So he did. He did get one. Like magnificent, well. magnificent. And I um, really, again, appreciated the interviews afterwards. Of course. So what a glorious night all round, really. I'm just um, so relieved. I'm so happy to still be in the Champions League. I love that competition. It's, it's love great, it. and it is lovely that there's. It's weird, but lovely that we've now got to wait. Like, what is it? basically November, December, January. It's like three and a half months or something until we play in it, which is kind of cool Blissful. in a way. Yeah. Yeah. We'll... Like that. Like the best month of all of our lives was the month between like the end of the season and playing in the Champions League final. It was wicked. Well, like the, last week, the last week I was just a, a bag of nerves. The I thought actually one of my favourite Spurs experiences ever was the the day we beat Norwich to finish fourth sort of all the way through the summer, I was just like, everything is great. This is just, I don't have to worry about anything. We're just in the Champions League, Arsenal in the Europa League. Turns out that's <laughs> as good as it's ever going to get. But uh, we won't worry about that. But we enjoyed we it. That. That's the thing. We it. did enjoy it. So and this is, you know, have, enjoy. We're going to have plenty to enjoy. Um, I mean, like enjoy Wednesday. It's like a yeah. midweek game yeah. that means nothing, really. Come on. Um, and actually just going just thinking about that was one other thing and I don't want to kind of go back to the sort of misery of the crowd or anything or like angry people in general but I do think that is part of the problem with how where we are now because every game matters so much that it just mm -hmm. makes everybody like everybody's emotions just get so 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 like amped up that people just people do need to release and I don't think they release it in the best way but I get it because every game is just so like everybody you just all feel like you're going to explode, don't you? I just, yeah, you know. But been... when you when you're at the stadium, it's kind of easier, I guess. But you know, when you're at home and you're just there's nowhere to go, you're just pacing. And then it's at the end, ghastly. you have to just, like return to normal life. Yeah. And you know, we've got a newborn at home, which is amazing. But like, you know, and we've got a four year old, so there's just I can't just like go off and you know sit in the loo for forty five minutes and you know send some messages and get it out of my system. You just have to return to to your responsibilities and it's really really hard and yeah i think 
a lot of us probably are at a point now where it's like this is all quite stressful where every match does feel like way too much and amping it down and maybe it's a very good thing that this um this cursed world cup is coming around at this time because we probably do need a bit of a reset don't we yeah, I was just thinking that actually is that the World Cup serves as as a nice break, and I mean, usually there's plenty of reasons not to care about this World Cup, isn't there, and not to feel as invested as we usually do as as England fans. Um, but you, usually, you've got the club season is just building up to the World Cup, and you're like, "Wicked! I've got the mm. you know, something to watch this summer," and like. Uh, Whereas this time it's like, cool, I can switch off about Spurs like over the Christmas, over the Christmas month. And yeah, I don't know. I'm not, I don't feel as invested as I usually do in the England team. And yeah, it'd be quite nice to just have a break from from the stress of football. Have you both, um, where are you at with sort of, Tom, you mentioned feeling a little detached from this World Cup. I think we're all kind of grappling with certain feelings and emotions and not wanting to be, I mean, I'm like, I don't want to be a hypocrite. So should I just not watch it? Because is that the best thing that I can do as a, someone that believes in certain things is to not add my sort of viewing figures to what would be then, you know, deemed a success if lots and lots and lots of people are watching it. I don't know. How do you both feel? Well, the whole thing is disgusting, isn't it? Like for a start, like just yeah. the whole thing is corrupt and disgusting. And it's awful that that it's happening in Qatar. But I also, and I've got friends who are going to boycott it, but I also know I don't want to be a hypocrite and like claim that I'm going to boycott it and then, you know. Sneakily watch. be watching South I, Korea versus know, someone, yeah. I will, I, will wa- I will watch a fair bit of it, but you know, it is tainted. It is awful that it's going ahead and that it's happening. And But I'm not going to kid myself that I won't also watch a fair chunk of I it. I think that's where I am. And I'm sort of really, really upset in lots of ways that I, well, I'm upset that I'm sort of, and this sounds a bit selfish, I guess, but I'm being put in that situation where something I love so much, I, you know, like all football fans, the World Cup is so much fun. Like, there's nothing quite like it. It's incredible. The fact that it's, you know, it is this sort of filthy, tainted tournament now because of where it's being played and why it's being played there and all the other reasons is gross enough. But the fact it's also like when it is as well, it's just so fucking ridiculous that they're playing it at this time of year in the middle of a football season. But I do think that actually it will serve as a nice sort of yeah, a nice little bre- sort of break point for some of us to go, do you know what? Like we can detach from football and if it's on, it's on. And if it's not, then, well, I'm not having to get stressed about club football for a month or two. Rosa, what about you? Yeah, I think I'm not going to watch it probably. I just At all, can't. you're just not going to watch it. I mean, it's, it's going to be difficult because Ollie and I don't agree on it. I mean, obviously we agree that it's... Uh, a horrific horrific thing that it's going forward um but i think he feels like it's not it's kind of not on the fans like this was this was like a corrupt decision that was made many years ago and it's not on us i guess i don't know i'll let i should let him speak for himself actually but anyway i think he will watch it um so i guess it will be on in my house i don't know um i don't know how we're going to do it i don't i think i will try very hard 
to not watch it. I'm certainly not going to go and do any of the stuff I would normally do in a World Cup to like go out and meet people and watch it in a pub or anything and just kind of do that whole thing. Because I think for me, it's not just about this World Cup. It's like now for me as well, it's like the memory of the last one, which like I feel like I do feel quite implicated in now because even though I knew, you know, what the kind of current state of Russia, like how it was then and everything that it was already doing in Crimea and kind of went ahead. And I, you know, and I was a bit like, oh, I don't know. I feel bad. I feel weird about this. And then I just got into it anyway, because, you know, I love football so much and I love watching it. And the World Cup is literally a festival of football and it's so hard. You know, there's something to watch every day and it's wonderful. But now I just look back and I just think, you know, the thing that we love about the World Cup is all of our memories of the World Cup, right? And all of the amazing places that it's been played in and the amazing teams. And I just think I don't really have those memories of the last World Cup now because of everything. And so I don't, I don't feel like I, I don't even feel really like I would be missing out on anything, I guess, if I didn't watch, because I don't think glorious memories are going to be made there. I think it's going to be something people are going to be so ashamed of in years to come. Mm. The entire thing is disgusting and tainted. And if England do well, it will be tainted. If England go out early, then maybe, you know, it's not going to affect people as much because actually the human rights abuses and the, the, you know, the corruption puts everything else into perspective you know it suddenly makes you think football doesn't actually matter it's a load yeah. of shit and if if fifa are going to do this to fans then fuck them yeah and i think you know the thing that's really gutting about it is that obviously it happens once every four years so that's mm. it for another four years for us all really and i you know the euros are wonderful but it's not the same is it no, when you get to see argentina you get to see brazil and you know loads of african teams and just just everybody is there that's the whole point mm. and yeah we we have been robbed of that basically because i think even if we do watch it um it won't, yeah, we won't have those memories. It won't be, it just won't be joyous the way World Cup should be. I agree. And it's good to talk about it because I think we are all feeling conflicted as, you know, as massive football fans who, you know, this should be the celebration to end all celebrations that you get to have every four years. And it is so wrapped up in all manner of bullshit that it's just really gross and upsetting. And I'm sure we'll revisit it. But, um, let's move on to stuff less upsetting. I want your culture picks, please. Um, I've so missed being able to uh, to do this with you all over the last few weeks. Um, Rosa, what have you been enjoying this week? Um, I've just been uh, indulging in all my usual stuff, um, but I read a novel. I read Vladimir by Julia May Jonas, which was, I guess, kind of quite a big hit sort of earlier this year. Um, hmm. And I don't, it's one of those weird novels where I'm a bit like, do I really want to recommend it? Yeah. I mean, I think it is, it's very good. It's kind of brilliantly written. I don't, it's about um, a woman, um, a professor in a sort of, you know, somewhere in some sort of leafy New England um, college town and in her sort of late fifties and her husband has always kind of had affairs with his students and that she's kind of known about and understood to be consensual, but then kind of in the current climate, like for, people have started complaining about him and he's been um, 
suspended from his duties and then she becomes sort of obsessed with a new professor, a younger professor called Vladimir and his wife and their relationship kind of goes to some sort of quite weird places. Um, I felt like it was one of those novels where the author was trying really hard to be to kind of tell me something, but I wasn't entirely sure what it was. So she had a lot to say about kind of current sort of social issues and the sort of generation gap and being a woman and aging as a woman and desire and all of that. But ultimately, which was all quite interesting. And it was also very much like, you're not supposed to like this character either, I don't think. But ultimately, so much of it just kind of hit me in this wave of like, you know, they just ended up just feeling like Tom and Daisy Buchanan, you know, in The Great Gatsby. And there's that kind of great moment in Gatsby where he, you know, the narrator looks at them and it's like they're just careless people and they just smash things up, people and lives and whatever and they just walk away and it doesn't matter because they're wealthy and I ended up just feeling a bit about like that about it which isn't to say that's not kind of fascinating like read because obviously it sounds like Chelsea Football Club a little bit yeah maybe yeah so there's sort of something compelling (laughs) in a way I suppose I don't know I guess um and also something very bleak about it all it was also one of those books where I wasn't entirely sure if some of it was intentional or not so this is a person who's been dealing with you know, with students for many years but the, but was sort of shocked by some of the conversations that she was having with them about race and gender and I thought if you're in that position and you're shocked by this point, Mm -hmm. I don't find that believable, but perhaps I should find it believable. And that's just like a gap in my awareness. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So it was a very interesting novel and I would recommend it because I'd I'd always be interested to know what other people think about it, but I didn't like it very much, if that makes sense. I am. I think that's quite a, it's not a frequent take that I, sort of take away from whenever I read a book but it definitely happens more than it does with other sort of pieces of culture where I don't know if I've like had a great time but I've definitely you know learned something or I found it compelling but I've not necessarily had like tons of fun um maybe it sounds like you've had that sort of experience yeah, it's a bit like maybe there's just something about the sort of solitary nature of writing a novel and then reading mm. it, I guess. It's not, you know how we always say that like tennis players are the most mad of all sports people because they're just out there by themselves for hours and it's they like can't even talk to their coach. Goal- yeah, it's like tennis players and goalkeepers have a Yeah, problem, you just think, think you're so weird. How have you done it? So maybe, <laughs> you know, maybe the sort of experience of novel writing and novel reading is just yeah. a bit like that. It's just this sort of intense own thing. So yeah, that's 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 my pick, I guess, this week. <laughs> <laughs> I enjoyed that. Enjoyed that. Um, Tom, I um I know you've you finished watching The Bear now. Um we watched it in like two days when we were on uh when I was on paternity leave. I am almost embarrassed by how much I enjoyed it because I feel like it was sort of made in a lab for people like me to just get so het up and 
you know, in the weeds about into everything from obviously like, you know, the writing and the performances and the cast and the setting and the, yeah. And before we even get on to the fact that, you know, that, uh, that Kami has like the most desirable sort of menswear capsule wardrobe of, of the 2020s. Um, and the sort of like sad boy kind of psycho psychotherapy kind of, uh, you know, masculinity thing as well. That's quite, that's pretty interesting and kind of deep. Mm. Yeah. I, yeah, I, I really liked it a lot. Um, my only criticism would be that it felt like it took four or five episodes to get going to really like you, you could, because they were 20 minutes, most of mm. them, you powered through them. It got going. It kind of built, to a head of steam, to use a chef analogy. Um, and um, yeah, and then it was done. And then, uh, the, and I don't know if it's a good thing that I was left wanting more to such a degree, but I completely agree that it did take a minute to really reach a boil and then it suddenly is over. And you're like, oh, how is this only eight episodes? Like the episodes are 20 minutes, 23 minutes long. Like I, I deserve I did more. I did like I the... The final episode was, I think, 48 minutes or something. It kind of, You got those 20-minute episodes and then it gave yeah. you a slightly chunkier finale. It, I liked as well how the finale, you really felt like you earned the right to sort of see all the emotional mm. reason, like all the stuff with his brother finally uh, his gets monologue, unpacked. His, his, his monologue, monologue incredible. at the um, Al-Anon meeting, so for survivors of, of people whose relatives are alcoholics or drug addicts. Uh, it was a meeting, like an AA type thing. But yeah, that monologue was incredible in that final episode. He was great. I don't know how old he is or haven't seen him in anything else, the, the lead. Yeah, what's he called? Rosa, you know, Jeremy, is it Jeremy? Alan? Someone? I can't remember his can't name, remember his but name he was now. in the um, American on. version of Shameless. Ah, he was very good. Oh, and Desi. Jeremy Allen Allen White yeah yeah to to have Desi back on my screens in such a big way and also in such a memorable yeah I mean he's such a scene stealer anyway um but what a performance he's he's kind of hateful just like Desi he's hateful (laughs) yes in quite such a different different way it's a different way where like Desi was so wet and this guy is like very masculine and and wants to fight everyone, um, but yeah, oh my god, I feel it's making me want to rewatch Girls because um, same. Desi yeah. and Marnie are just so fucking good. The pair of them, the most. How did Lena Dunham write such hateful, like amazingly awful characters that you love to hate so much? Um, I mean... Rosie, you have to watch the bear. I really want your. Yeah. I really I mean, want no, your... You're right. You're right. By yeah. all accounts, <laughs> um, I've rewatched an episode of Girls like relatively recently. You know, the one where Marnie reconnects with her ex, with Charlie. Charlie, yeah, yeah. Charlie, and it's just and it's essentially yeah, yeah. Um, it's so good. That was such a good show, man. That was I a know, really was, affecting yeah. episode because Charlie. Yeah. She doesn't find Charlie in a very good state, does, does she? If I remember, no, that. he's a real mess. And then she goes home and like Desi's just sitting there. <laughs> Tragic. <laughs> which which reminds me of maybe my favourite episode of Girls, which is when Marnie um, performs the Kanye song at Charlie's no, workplace. No, don't make me go back there. I can't do it. I like I do like a full body cringe even thinking about it. <laughs> it's, 
it's now sort of the only performance of a Kanye song that feels that you can yeah. even talk about. Um, <laughs> How times have changed. Yeah. Uh, but Alison Williams is so good. Oh, just, she's great in Girls. She's so, so she's good. She's excellent in it, yeah. She's not been in anything for ages of note. She was in Get Out and then that was... Am I missing something from the... No, I think that Alison was it. Williams oeuvre, but I feel like she's disappeared. Um, what happened to Thingy Mamet, David Mamet's daughter? Uh, Shosh. Shosh, yeah. Um, yeah, she... I feel like she's been in a few things. She's never, she's not going to be short of it. I mean, mind you, neither is Alison Williams because she's the daughter of some big wig as well, isn't she? So. Yeah, sort of in TV. <laughs> Mad how they all got those jobs. Eh? We're calling them ne- Nepo, Nepo babies. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, speaking of well-connected people, my other pick is uh, the new Phoenix album, which is, again, the most sort of uh, predictable thing that I could ever recommend because I uh, they're one of my... If not my favourite sort of contemporary band, they probably are my favourite contemporary band actually. Um, Alpha Zuda came out on Friday. It's just really, really good. If you like Phoenix, you'll love this. They're not exactly reinventing the wheel. Um, it's a sort of. I, I love the fact that it's like the most Phoenix album ever recorded, and that they recorded it at the Louvre. Like they were allowed during the pandemic when no one was allowed into it. They were sort of the Louvre kind of offered them a sort of artist residency and offered to build them a studio. So in they went when it was shut to the public and just recorded a, an album. And it's just the most wonderfully French thing ever. And you can kind of hear even the, so a lot of the lyrics talk about sort of very arty artifact type thing. So it's just a, it's a lovely sort of not exactly deep and meaningful, particularly as, apart from, you know, the nods to uh, Philippe's, how do you, uh, F- Philippe, is it Zadar? Zadar. I never, I'm so nervous about, particularly because of how tragic it was when he died a couple of years ago. But um, yeah, they're sort of uh, long-time producer, collaborator, sort of godfather, um, who was in, oh my God, I've completely had a mind blank. What, Cassius. Cassius, of course. Um, yeah, and just sort of godfather of that wonderful sort of French electro scene um he passed away a couple of years ago and this album is a bit of a love letter to him and the influence that he had on their music um and it's really really lovely so i'd probably recommend that um tom over to you yeah i'm enjoying that album as well and i read today that um although philippe zadar didn't work on it like he did i think every other phoenix album uh thomas bangalter from daft punk uh helped them with that album which is um Cool. French Avengers uh, just coming together at the Louvre. Incredible. Exactly. Why not? I'd like to, I can't play anything, but I'd happily live. Just let, me, let me into the Louvre for a bit, yeah. please. Exactly. While the rest of the world's locked down, that sounds fun. Um, yeah, just a novel from me. I finished Colson Whitehead's um, Harlem Shuffle. I really think he is, uh, you know, one of the best novelists working today alongside, I don't know, Margaret Atwood and Elizabeth Strout and um, other people I'm forgetting. But yeah, he wrote The Underground Railroad and then The Nickel Boys, which was just brilliant and really concise and so smart. Uh, And then The Harlem Shuffle is kind of, you know, he writes a lot about, all his stories are in some way about race and the black American experience. Um, And The Harlem Shuffle is set in the late 50s, early 60s in Harlem. And it's a kind of a crime caper but, you know, in a very uh, amazing way, wraps up a load of social commentary and history and, you know, race history and uh, 
you know, there's loads going on. And I think, like you said, Rosa, I think there is so much to take from it. But what I didn't think while I was reading it is like, he's trying to tell me something here. It's really the the message is woven in. And also what I think is great is that the message is contradictory as well. And the characters are multifaceted and their personalities contradict you know, each other. They contradict themselves constantly, um, as we all do every day, I think. So, yeah, it was like, yeah, just so, so brilliant. Um, I can't recommend it enough, the Harlem Shuffle oh, by, um, by Colson Whitehead. I'm a hundred percent sold on that now. Yeah, I mean, same. I'd always wanted to read his stuff actually, and had just never got round to it. And now I'm like, that has to be next. Oh, uh, if you haven't read the Nick Nickel Boys as well, mm-hmm. give that okay. a read. Like the, I think they're all like, like 250, 300 pages. You you'll fly through them, uh, but yeah, the Nickel Boys is is a, like amazing, um, and he's just such a smart uh, smart writer. Um, and you know, like there aren't, he writes about race and stuff, but there are no easy answers. And like the, the characters are so multifaceted and, and interesting. You should work for a publisher, Tom. That was a good sell. Very <laughs> good sell. Um, wicked. Thank you, everyone. It's been such a pleasure to be back. I've loved talking to both of you this evening. Um, Thank you all for listening. Um, Tom and Rosa, thank you for your company. And Rosa, can you see us out, please? I can, but first I have to say, oh my God, take Arsenal fans' phones and internet access away from them because Tony Adams has got to be kicked out of Strictly. It's now getting ridiculous. That's it. That's it. Up the Spurs. the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY exclusions apply see site for details even when we're on a budget we still deserve nice things quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80 percent less than similar brands they have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at 50 dollars, luxurious italian leather bags and so much more plus quince only works with factories that use safe ethical and responsible manufacturing get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with quince Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 